Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that we put on so us content creators can talk about the games we've been playing recently. And we would like to announce that we have a new cast member, Meeple and the Moose. And on this episode are Board on the Air, Board and Game with Andrew B., Meeple and the Moose, of Dice and Men, The Tabletop Bellhop, The Meeple Dungeon, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please take the time to check out the show notes of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, and enjoy! Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board in the Air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? It's been a while since we've been on, and we're going to talk about Blackout Hong Kong. This is an Alexander Pfister game. Uh, one of his, I guess it's about a couple years old now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in it, you there's a the power's gone out in Hong Kong, and you were trying to... Save districts, I guess. Make sure everyone has what they need to function. Yeah. So it's card management, like a lot of Fister games, uh, multi-use cards, and a little bit of area control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In it, on your turn, you're going to start with rolling the die, whoever the first player is. Uh, Then you put your cards out in your spots, and you play up up to three or four cards, uh, flip them over in the next phase, and you're going to get either resources or specialists that are going to give you an ability. Uh, after that, you're trying to fulfill objectives, and you use your resources to do that. Uh, following the objectives, you are trying, or you're buying new cards. Uh, those cards go into your hand. Or no, those cards go into your objectives. You're buying yeah. new, new objectives. Objectives can either be every time you refresh your hand effects or new cards you can play, like new yeah. specialists or better resource generators. Yeah, uh, there's six resources in the game. Uh, four of them you can carry over from round to round. Two of them, water and food, are perishable, so they have to get transferred into coins or other bonuses. At, at the end of each round, uh, you're going to play for as, as long as the deck of op- or, uh, objectives objectives is full. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a very solid game. Uh, this is the first time we had played it. Uh, lots of Fister DNA in it. Yeah, it's very much point salady, I would say. Because we all sort of did different things, but we were all pretty close by the end. Yeah, you got you got points for a few different things, bringing your people out of the hospital for the value on your cards, uh, surrounding districts that you're exploring, uh, getting different little exploration things from yeah, districts. The exploration tokens was set collection. Uh, there were seven of those. Uh, the bigger the district you encircled and you had to have one on each point got you more points as well and money yeah yeah so as i say lots of fister in this game uh i wouldn't rank it up with his classics like the great western trail or maracaibo or really mombasa or boone lake but it was still a very good game and the action selection was neat, and it was nice that everyone could be doing the same thing at the same time. It wasn't you go, then you go, then you go, then I go. 
Yeah, there was only two phases of the game of the round, and there were seven phases in total where you had to wait for everybody to play. Everywhere else, you're pretty much doing it at the same time. Uh, those cards you're putting down at the beginning of the round are stacking up, and a lot of objectives or a few objectives needed certain colors in there. Uh, at the end of each round, you if you had less than four cards or six. You know, Later on in the game, you could take one of those stacks back, and that stack had to be the most cards, or the biggest stack at that time. But you also got to activate all your checkmark abilities. Yeah, it was neat, because you're, as you fulfill objectives, some of them give you checkmark abilities. As you encircle districts, you can put houses out that give you checkmark abilities, and these are just, you're allowed to do these anytime you're doing your hand refresh. Which is basically turning resources you have into other things, like points or other resources. Yeah, for the most part, the check marks either swapped resources or... Uh, I gained a lot of points from my checkmark abilities, and it was really the one thing that kept me in that game, I thought. Yeah, but then you started struggling with your resources. Yeah, it's... I didn't have a lot of object or a lot of cards that gave me object or uh, resources. Uh, I, I went for a lot of the checkmark abilities, which you need resources to get your objectives. So I struggled in the mid game trying to recollect stuff because all my cards were out and I couldn't get the ones I needed back. Yeah. And you also had the situation where all your cards were also in the hospital for a little bit. I, I did have a large hospital ward. So when you go scouting is where you get the scout coupons, you have to have GPS location or symbols. symbols and one of the cards you use ends up in the hospital each time. And it, it's kind of cool that it's random. You sort of shuffle your cards up, hold them out to your neighbor, and he pulls one. Could be good, could be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the game. And I thought he pulled it together very well. Uh, the theme is non-existent. No. Uh, I, I think Great Western Trail and Maracaibo had more theme in either... The, and neither of those had great theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I love his games for the mechanics. I, I don't care about the theme. I've never cared about theme. So <laughs> it doesn't bother me. True. <laughs> okay, and that is Blackout Hong Kong. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Andrew Buckle of SupportingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This weekend, I went to the Southern Board Game Festival, a two-day convention in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I got in a whole lot of good games there. I was there to help with setup on Friday night and also got in some games then. The first one was Seven Wonders Architects. I'd played Seven Wonders Architects online on Board Game Arena before, but it was cool to play it in person, and the storage solutions they have make it very intuitive on the table. I love regular Seven Wonders, and I don't know that I would choose Architects over that, but Architects does have some ease of teaching going for it, especially with new people. Also on Friday, I played So Clover, which is an interesting word-guessing party game, and I played Walking in Burano and Best Treehouse Ever. Those two are a notable combination because they both involve some color restrictions in how you build your particular tableau. I really like Best Treehouse Ever. It's been one of my favorite games for a few years, and I thought Walking in Burano was a cool and interesting game with some new takes on that sort of concept. On Saturday, I started with a couple of games of Circle the Wagons, which remains one of my favorite button shy games. It's a great two-player drafting game that plays really quickly. I then played another two-player game of Watergate, which I think is just an excellent two-player tug-of-war game with some great historical theme about the Nixon presidency and the Washington Post's attempt to expose the Watergate scandal. After that, I played Century A New World. This was one in the Century series I hadn't tried before, and it had some 
interesting takes on the basic century concept of converting resources into other resources and buying cards with some worker placement and some different bonuses that you can get. It's at the more complicated end of the spectrum compared to base century spice road, but I liked it quite a lot. Saturday also saw me help teach Lost Runes of Arnak to a couple of new people, and uh, that was cool. I've played Arnak quite a bit online, but it was neat to see how it works on the table, and also to see how quickly a couple of new people picked it up. One of the highlights of the convention for me was playing Captains of the Golf with designer Jason Dinger and a couple of other people. Uh, Jason did a really good job of designing this game about seafood fishing. Uh, it's very thematic, and he had some great stories about where the different elements came from and how it changed mechanically from his initial design to its publication. I think that Captains of the Gulf is a great heavier Euro game with a lot of opportunities for different paths to victory and customization of your boats, and I highly recommend checking it out if you're able to find a copy. Saturday also saw me play Architects of the West Kingdom and Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. I thought the new Libertalia was interesting. Um, I like some of the cards that they've added for this reprint, but there are some challenges with it, particularly in figuring out what the different loot tokens do if you're not already familiar with the game. On Sunday, I started off with a game of Pret-a-Porte, which is quite a heavy Euro about the fashion industry, and I think the theme works really well here. It's neat to see a different theme for a game of this kind, and it makes sense in how you're able to upgrade what you're doing with buildings, with contracts, and with different employees. The fashion show competition is also interesting, and it makes for some fun moments, especially when somebody takes some, a category that you had been planning on. After that, I got to teach Ladder 29, which I think remains an excellent card-shedding game. I always like playing some quick card games at conventions, and I think Liar 29 is a great one in that category. A nice thing about it, too, is that it's possible for somebody to leave partway through without really affecting the game too much. Sunday also saw me teach Viticulture to a few new people, and that was great. I really enjoy Viticulture, and it was cool to get to bring a few more people into that game and see how much they enjoyed it. I wrapped up the convention with Harvest Dice and then Bad Company. Harvest Dice is a cool roll and write. It's got some interesting things going on for it, particularly in how the different vegetables score. Bad Company is a game where the active player rolls dice and gets a good thing, and the other people get slightly lessened versions, usually but like Machi Coral or Space Base. But it's got some interesting twists. First with the heist theme, which also involves moving on board to stay ahead of a police car, and then also in how the dice get divided up each turn. The active player divides them, and then the other people have to take one set or the other while the active player gets both. So it was cool to try that out. Overall, I had a great weekend at the Southern Border Gaming Festival, and I highly recommend it to anyone who happens to be in the area when they have the next one. I'll certainly be going, and I hope to see you there. Again, this is Andrew Buckholtz from BoardingGame.com. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com. I find joy in discovery, and I'm always eager to play something new. This is my first What You've Been Playing Wednesday, so I'm just going to jump right into it. The first game I played last week was Unsettled by Mark Needlinger and Tom Matson, and published by Orange Nebula Games. Unsettled is a space-themed game with a somewhat unique hook. The main core box contains the framework, which is all the components that will be common between the planets. Each planet is contained with its own small box and is said to offer significantly different mechanics, themes, and experiences. My first impression of, of Unsettled was that the production was really good, the writing was quite funny and charming, and if you don't like cooperative games, this is not going to change your mind. We only played the first mission of the first box, which had us exploring a planet, kicking up spore clouds, and becoming fungal hosts. With some careful cooperation, we managed to escape the planet on the very last turn.
I'd like to return to Unsettled, if only to see how different the planets can be. There is no hidden information or anything to prevent other players from chiming in on each other's turns, making this a truly cooperative experience. If you or your group struggles with quarterback player, or if you don't like others offering suggestions on what to do on your turn, Unsettled is not going to change your mind. The next game I would like to talk about is Tiny Towns by Peter McPherson. Over the weekend, my wife and I went to the local board game cafe, and I had previously told her how much I enjoyed this game, and she was eager to see what I was so keen about. In Tiny Towns, players are building a town by drafting resources. Each turn, the active player or master builder will declare a resource type. They and everyone else will receive one cube of that resource. Everyone must place that cube on their own board, and if they complete a building by matching the pattern on the cards in the center of the table, they can remove the cubes and place one building token in one of the newly cleared spots. What I like about Tiny Towns is the spatial relation aspect. Cubes need to be placed in a specific shape and pattern in order to build a building. I also enjoy that there aren't large gaps of time in between player turns. I enjoy games with simultaneous actions. I also enjoy how your player board can feel crowded in one moment, then with the perfect placement, suddenly four cubes are removed and a tavern plops down, leaving your board relatively clear and ready for your next construction project. My wife, on the other hand, did not have the best experience. She was not a fan of the direct interaction, how she was compelled to take the cubes that I wanted, even if she didn't want or couldn't use them. My tavern-heavy strategy laden her land with excess clay, and she was forced to pivot in a way that she did not find enjoyable. Tiny Towns may not be for everyone, but I would gladly play it at any opportunity. The second game my wife and I played at the board game cafe was Canvas by Jeff Chin and Andrew Nerger. We knew very little going into this game other than it looked good on the shelf. Canvas features a deck of plastic transparent cards. The gameplay tasks players with collecting these cards and combining three of them to create a painting with various tags along the bottom in hopes to receive the most awards and win the game. Canvas was a fast game with a charming hook. Layering three cards and slipping them all into a sleeve to create a work of art felt unique and interesting. In Canvas, the order that you put the cards into the sleeve really matters. Many cards will overlap their tags, and only the icons on the top will count, which gives players space to maneuver their way into and out of trouble. In our game, one of the scoring goals was to have exactly one color tag. I was able to layer my cards so that only one color tag was showing, but in doing so I also covered a bonus tag that would have netted me extra points for any texture tags on that painting. My wife and I both enjoyed playing Canvas quite a bit. It was cute, fast, and fun. It looked like it contained a good amount of variety in the variable scoring goals. In just one two-player game we saw about 40% of the transparent art cards, which I think is pretty reasonable. I don't think Canvas has a lot of strategic depth or space for someone to really master it, but for a light and fast game, it was quite an enjoyable experience. And that's all I have to talk about this week. I want to thank Norm for inviting me to speak on this What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Again, my name is Alex McKenzie. I write board game reviews over at meeplethemoose.com. You can catch me on Twitter at moosemeeple, and I hope everyone has themselves a great week. Hey everyone, Chad here from Of Dice and Men with my monthly-ish contribution to What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. It was a rather easy question to answer this week since I've had exactly one game take out the majority of my time lately, Roleplayer Adventures. Roleplayer Adventures is a 2021 release by Thunderworks Games, the same company that brought you the dice-rolling character-building board game Roleplayer. In Roleplayer, you take turns drafting dice, building stats, and buying equipment to create a character that you could easily port over to an RPG game. In Roleplayer Adventures, you go on that aforementioned RPG quest, taking your character through a series of adventures narrated by several hundred pages full of choose-your-own-adventure action. Roleplayer Adventures is like a lot of narrative board games that have come out over the last few years. It takes you and your teammates on a journey through a crafted fantasy world, asking you to make decisions and pick destinations along the way. In that sense, it really isn't all that different from the many options already available. Odds are if you liked playing Legacy of Dragonholt, Sleeping Gods, Tainted Grail, or other games in the space, you've likely already come to a conclusion about this type of gameplay. It either works for you and your group, or it doesn't. There's not a lot here that will change your mind. That said, Roleplayer Adventures takes that formula and proves it in a lot of ways, so much that it's one of my favorite entries in the genre that I adore. Here are a few examples. 
Role-player adventures, just like Legacy of Dragonhold, has players record major decision points as they're made by the players for future reference. Choosing to help an injured gnome in Chapter 1 may pay forward rewards in Chapter 5, or conversely, ignoring their plight could come back to bite you in the future. This allows for some cool congruency between individual adventures and really gives the players a sense of engagement in the world that they're spending their time in. Roleplayer Adventures improves upon this with titles, which are basically the same thing, but with an accompanying illustration and short paragraph, filling players in on the backstory. In Legacy of Dragonhold, you're often asked if the players checked off A5, not giving any sense of connection or cause and effect. In Roleplayer Adventures, you can quickly and easily recall what may have put you in your current situation, even if you're picking the game up after a few months off. On another note, a lot of these narrative adventure games rely on some sort of skill check to inject a sense of randomness and chance into the story. Sleeping Gods has players drawing from a fate deck with cards numbered 1 through 6 against the required total. There's a chance for mitigation, and if you heard my previous segment, I'd argue the management of that mitigation is basically the entire game. But other than that, it's a pretty straightforward push-your-leg type of mechanic, not too far off from an actual tabletop role-playing game. In role-player adventures, however, the checks, whether they're for combat or a simple skill test, are resolved through a dice puzzle. Staying true to its dice placement roots in role-player, role-player adventures have players spending attribute points to improve their odds, then using their equipment cards to modify dice after they've been randomly drawn and rolled, to attempt to solve a puzzle unique to the skill or enemy that they're fighting. While the process for every check is the same, modifiers such as Cornered or Nightmare can add small wrinkles to the task, making each task unique. I found this formula to work quite well, moving the skill checks from a simplistic roll-and-sum mechanic that most of these style of games have to a much more interesting and interactive minigame. Players have to work together, combining the abilities of their equipment, traits, and skills, which encourage a collaborative experience. It's true that these checks take significantly longer than their predecessors, but at the same time it's an enjoyable part of the gameplay, so I found I didn't mind. Item use is another well-done aspect of role-player adventures. Each adventure you're usually given, or can find, a number of items. In most narrative games, this is reduced to having a game ability, usually to manipulate your odds in a future skill check, and maybe can serve as a prompt for a future book passage. As an example, if you have the Sphere of Selene, go to entry 1056. Roleplayer Adventures has a different take on items, which is more in line with how the game Cantaloupe handles them. Items can be used at any location and combined with other items. This often leads to hilarious results, where the story author is filling in a little blurb of text describing how you, attempting to hammer a pencil with a rock, got you some strange look from the town guards, and perhaps a small penalty or a boon. While this doesn't really add a lot mechanically, it does give players a much better sense of exploration. It prompts players to try anything they think might work, and at times you can be genuinely surprised receiving a powerful item you might not otherwise have come across, or uncovering a secret room that in a normal playthrough you wouldn't have seen. Last, and suitably least, Roleplayer Adventures does a great job of handling the epilogue of each adventure. In most of these narrative games, you come to one of a handful of conclusions and proceed to the next adventure. Roleplayer Adventures leans on the aforementioned titles to give conclusion to each minor aspect of the story that the players come across. If you ran into that injured gnome and chose to help him, you might get to read a small wrap-up paragraph describing how the gnome gave you a gift on your way out of town. The end of each adventure usually has a dozen or so little paragraphs pertaining to the actions that players may or may not have taken throughout the play, and really makes the game feel unique and personalized as you wrap up the chapter. Roleplayer Adventures has a lot of cool things going on for it, in addition to these improvements to the narrative formula. There's tons of content here, well over a thousand pages if you have the expansion. You can use the players you roll in Roleplayer as your seed characters in the adventure game. You gain unique powers and equipment during and between adventures, and so many other things. I'm about halfway through my first campaign, each adventure is taking about two hours, and there's about 11 adventures in the box and I'm excited each night to sit down and see where we head next. Despite taking my time with it, it still feels like there's a number of things that I pass by with each adventure, and I'm really inspired to play it again. So that's me. Thanks for listening. Adam, Ryan, and I have recently recorded a few episodes of our podcast of Dyson Men. We recently had a live play and follow-up episode of El Grande over on Board Game Arena, and our soon-to-be-released episode focuses on how board games change in their first and final rounds. 
We hope you give us a listen on your podcatcher of choice. Have a great week. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge. Answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me, send it to questions at tabletopbellhop.com. Visit our webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop or hit me up on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. Now the question I'm answering today is of course what you've been playing this past week. And wow, I've got lots to cover this week, so I'm just going to dive right in. So first up, Deanna and I took our first vacation in almost three years, which is why you didn't get to hear from me on the show last week. Now, during that vacation, we got in quite a few two-player games, which ironically started with Racco. Yes, the classic card game about getting your set of cards in numerical order before anyone else. Now, they had a copy of Racco at a brewery we visited, and we decided to play through a round. Now, a round in Racco is actually quite long and took pretty much the whole night. It can take quite a while to get to 500 points in a game of Racco. While I've been a fan of Racco since I was a kid, I used to actually play with my grandmother who introduced me to it. Deanna, my wife, had never actually played it. In the end, she agreed that it's a really solid game for a mass market card game. Next up was multiple rounds of The Game from Pandasaurus. I thought this was a good follow-up as it's also about getting numbered cards played in the right order. Now, what always surprises me about uh, the game is just how well it plays with just two players. We played multiple rounds, and our best round, we got down to eight cards, which is actually a personal best for Deanna and I. Now, I also brought a couple games off our pile of shame for this trip, one of which got played. The Blood of an Englishman from Renegade Games. This is a two-player-only card game where one player is playing Jack, trying to build a set of three beanstalks to grab different treasures at the top of each stock. And the other player is playing the giant, trying to spell fee fi fo fum or at least get to show up in a pattern in the cards. Now, gameplay here is 100% open information and very asymmetric due to the different moves each player can take on their turns. While we were both really impressed by this game, it seems like a really solid game, it is quite thinky. The open information makes it almost a chess-like experience, and honestly, it just wasn't a good fit for a relaxing vacation day game. It just wasn't a sit around and chat and play games while on vacation and having a couple beers kind of game. That said, I do think this is a fantastic thinky game. If you are looking for a heavier abstract game that's really going to challenge you and your opponent, you might want to check out The Blood of an Englishman. Now, the last game we got played while out of town on our vacation was Aqualin from Cosmos. Uh, this one, Deanna and I both still enjoy. It's a two-player-only abstract tile-laying game, and I'm actually really glad we packed this one. Uh, one thing I can now say is you can easily play it on a bed. Now, for more info on Aqualin, be sure to check out our reviews, either on YouTube or the blog. Now, the other thing that happened this past week and why we got so much gaming in is that my podcast co-host, Sean, that's Sean from Hamilton, not Sean Hamilton, made it down to Windsor. Now, this happens infrequently enough that we try to get in as many games as possible while he's in town, and it ends up feeling like a mini game convention. So I started calling these uh, rare events SeanCon, and you'll notice if you follow me on social media, I've been using the SeanCon hashtag, pound SeanCon, to share the games we've been playing. Now, as the first Sean Con of 2022, we started off with a game of Disney Villainous. Now, Sean had been wanting to try this one to see if it's something his kids would dig. We all enjoyed our play of Disney Villainous. Sean was impressed by it and really impressed by how asymmetric it was. And we'll probably be checking out the game or its expansions. Now, we followed that by Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, I taught Sean how to play this on Board Game Arena. He had asked to still play it physically just to make some parts of the game make more sense and get to actually touch everything. Uh, while learning games on Board Game Arena works, it's not the best way to learn a game. And I guess our game of Lost Runes of Arnak went really well. Uh, Sean loved it. We love this game. Sean left learning quite a few things about the game and thinks his plays on Board Game Arena are going to be even more enjoyable now that he's played the physical copy. So that was a win. Next up, I brought out a prototype copy of the Glory expansion for Draconis Invasion. Now, I don't know if you remember, but Draconis Invasion was Sean's best new-to-me game of 2021. So we were both looking forward to trying out this small box expansion. 
Now this adds three new optional modules that were all welcome additions to the game. There are champion cards that add asymmetric powers, bonus cards that add endgame scoring elements, and invocations, which are special cards that let you store a card after buying it, adding it to your hand whenever you need it, which added a lot of tactical and strategic options to the game. To hear our full thoughts on this expansion, all you got to do is join us tonight for our live recording of the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast over at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. That happens at 9 p.m. Eastern, or you can just wait for the edited podcast to drop on Tuesday. Now, Tales from the Loop, the board game hit the table next, and we tried two new scenarios, which sadly had the same problem that our previous plays had that I've talked about on the show before. Uh, Tales from the Loop, the board game is super fiddly and extremely punishing. I'm almost convinced that the one scenario we played called Firestarter is literally impossible to win with five players. Now, we finished up day one of Sean Khan with a game of Charterstone. This is game eight. Uh, so what we did, having Sean there, we played our normal campaign with Tori, Kat, Dan, and I and let Sean join us because I wanted to be able to try out the rules for adding a charter and removing one. And I've got to say it works pretty well, but it's very loosey-goosey um, and, and can be very group dependent because there really aren't any hard and fast rules for adding a player. It's more suggestions. And like one of the actual rules is give the new charter a fair amount of glory. But it doesn't really tell you what a fair amount of glory is. And I can see lots of groups out there arguing over this, especially very competitive players. If you have a competitive group playing Charterstone, you're not going to want to add someone in or take someone out. You're going to want to play with the same group. Now, thankfully, we don't play anything really all that hardcore. So for us, it wasn't really a problem at all. And I think it's great that Sean got to actually see the game played and, and, and made some moves and got the play. And he'll be able to contribute when we do finally review it after finishing our campaign, which at this point is still going to be a few more weeks. Now, day two of Sean Khan started with Dune Imperium, which we played a couple times. Now, Sean absolutely loved this game. I have a feeling this one's going to be a contender for this year's game of the year. Personally, I was just really happy at how much better Dune Imperium played with three players than it did with two. I've got to say, Deanna and I really did not enjoy it with only two players. Playing with three has now redeemed the game for Deanna and I. Now, one of the things that really stuck out is all three of us are Dune fans. Sean, perhaps the biggest Dune fan of the group. And it was really cool to see all the little things they put in the game. The, their mechanics or card, card powers or places you go where you really do see the theme. Like why this card gets this ability if you know the book. So I thought it was really cool the way they did manage to tie the Dune theme to this. And the more I play, the more I see it. Now, maybe I'm a little biased because I did win both of those games. So that's a pretty good win ratio when it's playing just D, Sean, and I. Now, the final game for the first Sean Con of 2022 was Underwater Cities. And despite a rough teach due to me only having played the game once before and pretty much forgetting everything, uh, the three of us had a really good time playing this. It's a really solid game, a really solid engine builder. But man, those icons, there's so many of them, and learning the icons and remembering what they mean. And th there's just a lot going on in that game. And what I find is that if you don't play it often enough, or if you don't play it a couple times in a row, it's really easy to forget what you're trying to do, the kind of combos you're looking for, what's important to do, and more importantly, what all those icons mean. Now, I'm not sure why it's so bad with Underwater Cities, maybe because it's kind of generic, but this seems to be worse in Underwater Cities than most of my other games. Like, usually if I've gone a couple months between playing games, I can pick it up pretty quickly. For some reason, this felt like relearning the game completely for the first time. That said, we did have a good time. I am really enjoying it, but I will say this does not kill Terraforming Mars for me. Now, finally, on Sunday, we decided to give Tales from the Loop the board game one more try with only three players before giving up on it, and I am glad we did. Now, this time it was with Brenda, Deanna, and I, and we tried the light fantastic scenario. So I've got to say to Free League designers, publishers, whoever wrote the rulebook for this, why did you not make the light fantastic the starter scenario? Instead, they start you off with bots of muck, which has you having to interact with every aspect of the game in the first game. Maybe that's what they're going for. But the light fantastic starts off with your parents. Something happened to your parents. I don't want to spoil it, but you don't have to worry about your parents. So you don't have chores to deal with. There's no chore cards. There's no having to complete chores. You don't have to get home on time for for dinner. You don't have to worry about getting grounded. Now, on the bad side, you can't ask for a car ride. But removing that big chunk of the game, I found the game much more approachable, which was great for Brenda. And I honestly say, if you are going to pick up the Tales from the Loop board game, start with the light, fantastic scenario as your first play. 
Now, added to the fact that this one was just more approachable, it also seemed very winnable, which was very different from the other scenarios we played. Not that we did win, but we were close. We were on a final hack, and we kind of threw our eggs into one basket, and well, they all cracked. Now, the one big problem with this game is the dice odds. We failed with a roll of seven dice with a push, and that just shouldn't happen, but it did. So overall, though, besides finding a much more approachable scenario to introduce this game to new players, we did learn how much easier it is with three kids. The big thing with three kids is you're not bumping rumors off all the time and gaining Enigma because of this. Like, we were literally at the point of writing this game off. We're done. I'm pretty sure Sean, after playing, is like, done. I don't need to play that ever again. We were getting close. I wanted to give it a try with three, and I'm glad I did because that has redeemed the game. And instead of publishing our review this week, I'm actually going to hold off for a couple weeks to see, try it out again with the lower player counts. That may be the secret to enjoying this game. Well, I've been here for a while. That's a lot of games. That was a very game-filled week for me and a much-deserved vacation. That was also much needed. Thank you for listening. Now, before I go, a reminder, visit TabletopBellhop.com. Join us on Wednesdays on Twitch at 9 p.m. Eastern, where we record our next podcast episode, which you can find on your podcatcher of choice under the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. I also invite you to join us 1 p.m. Sundays on YouTube for Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good day and game on. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. We are back here again recording for the What You Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And today we have two games to talk about. Uh, what's that first game we're going to talk about today, Rob? Uh, the first game we're going to talk about is Clask from Mickle. Yeah, Clask from Mickle. This is um, it's not technically a board game. Not technically not, not a se, board game. It's <laughs> It's closer to table hockey. Yeah. So um, if you noticed, we switched things up a little bit today, <laughs> purely because uh, Rob doesn't have the best of voices still. So we're uh, going to try and give his vocal cords a bit of a rest. So you have to... Yeah. Two weekends in a row, we had our boys playing hockey and yeah, I was yelling and cheering. So so was I, but I didn't get affected as much as you. No. <laughs> so we got, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. We but brought home the gold though. We did. Woo! It's such a good group of kids, good coaches. It was so awesome to see see them win that. Um, yeah, so Clask, this game, um, our youngest got this for either his birthday or Christmas. Yeah, They're around the same time. Seventh birthday this past December. Yeah, and what a fun game. Yep. So it's basically, uh, it's all magnetic. So you've got this board, um, well, it's kind of like a table. It's a little yep. mini table, mm -hmm. and it's got, um, you know, each player has a little magnet magnetic stick that they hold underneath the table, and yep. it it you know magnets to uh, connects to a, a stick like a on pawn the top. On top. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Pawn. Thanks. <laughs> and um, in the middle, you've got three little white magnets, mm -hmm. and on either end, you've got um, an indented. Um, circle. circle. Yep. So, and then there's a yellow ball yep. that uh, that you've got, which is not magnetic. Um, and then, and then each corner is also hollowed out. So there's um, kind of four um, no go zones, and then a goal zone. I believe. I don't think I don't know about the corners, but aren't they? No, I don't think so. Oh. I don't think they're hollowed out, but you've got the, there are four different ways you can score in the game. And I think it goes to six. So the first person to get six wins. Um, and you've got, so basically the first way that you can get a point is if the ball, like the little yellow ball, if it ends up in your opponent's indented circle. So kind of like their goal, yeah. their net that they're, you know, trying to trying to save. Um, that's a point for for you. If um, if your opponent gets remember, I said at the beginning, there are those three white magnets along the middle. Mm -hmm. um, if your opponent gets two or three of those white magnets attached to their pawn because their pawn is magnetic, then you get a point. Um, yeah. If your uh, if your if your um, 
upon basically comes off uh, the top part comes off into your indented circle like your goal at the end the other player gets a point yep and if uh and then if they or if they lose control of their pawn so if, yeah, you're, if you... they're going too fast and it just flips off and you can't get it back on right mm-hmm. away that's another point that so there's four different ways you can get points yeah and i think it's the first to seven wins i think it's six six okay. i think it's six yeah. yeah and there's a little poker chip looking thing that's indented in the side where you add up your score yeah um and this game is so much fun uh we played it together we've played it with our kids it we is bring it to the brewery yeah and play down there and and it's funny because you would think like, oh, this is okay. this is you know no problem. You lose um, you lose control of your pawn pretty quickly because yeah, because it feels like it should be connected right, like your handle and your pawn yes. on top of the table. But then they're magnetic. They're magnetic, so, so you'll go a little too aggressive and it'll come off and fall over, or you'll go into your own little goal. A zone and that happens all the time. Give your opponent a point, and because the the whole time you're basically taking that little yellow ball and you're you're. Um, knocking that back and forth like air hockey, yep. trying to trying to get it into your opponent's indented circle. At but the you end, you have to be careful of all the obstacles on the table. Right, yeah. you forget half the time. Like all of a sudden, you hear this little click, and you're like, "Oh, I've got a white magnet on my pawn now." Yeah, now you got to steer clear of that whole area of the table. Yeah, but you can also, as you know, strategy. You can have, uh, you can try to hit the yellow ball into the white magnet and shoot that, you know, closer to your opponent. And half the time strategy goes out the window because you get so uh, intense and or heated trying just to hit, uh, trying to get the the yellow ball. You're focusing on that and not the other little things. And all of a sudden, you're, I think they called it the striker, but your pawn or striker yeah. ends up in your own, uh, and they call that a clask. I guess think the sound that it makes, like clask, like it falling <laughs> in there. Is that where it came from? I think so. Oh. But, um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 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 just a fun easy to play game it's quick and half the time the the little pieces go the ball goes flying off the table because you're so intense with it but um but yeah that's that's classic and we yeah, they if have you like if you like you know uh air hockey or foosball or anything like that it's along those lines just a lot smaller and mm-hmm. kind of built to go on any kitchen table or take with you, really. Yeah, it's very kind of, compact. You can yeah, kind of fits into a briefcase style box. Then you can bring it wherever you like. We, yeah, we bring it down to the pub, and, and people it's a like good to watch. quality box. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great, yeah. it's a great game. Um, and I was uh, just looking through the instructions here again, and I didn't realize it before, but they actually have another version of it. And instead of being, you know, a rectangular table, because um, it's a two-player game, mm-hmm. there are two strikers. They've actually got a four-player version. Um, that looks wild. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on a circular board. Yeah. So they've got you know everybody has their their four different indented circles, and you're all. I think it's still the three magnets, but yeah, just you know more fun for or you know more players can can join in. But I thought that was neat seeing that they had that, and it's just some. <clears throat> um, the designer just goes by Mikkel. He's from um, Denmark. Yep. He's a Danish designer, and just. Um, yeah, he's created it. It's a popular game. There's oh. like world championships and oh, class yeah. and all sorts of stuff. It's fun. They've got pictures in here uh, where people have played it. So they've got people have sent in pictures of them playing in a sauna yeah. um, in Chicago <laughs> Square on a frozen lake. They've actually got two people in a frozen lake playing class. So just pretty fun. It It's a neat little movement they have, but it's a great game. I would recommend um, looking into it and trying to, uh, yep. to check it out. Really, really good. Um, but the uh, second game we were going to talk about... Yeah, the second game we were going to chat about is God Tier, and that comes from Steamforged Games. And we are not going to talk about it here. We're just going to mention it, because we are currently playing that, and it's currently set up on the table right in front of us, and we are going to be reviewing that on our next episode of the Meeple Dungeon Podcast, which will be coming out this week. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for this week, so we'll see you next week. Cheers! See ya! Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And this is the time where we go and have a look to see what the Bridge City Board Gamers community 
has been playing. So what you been playing, BCB? Well, let's start off with Jason. Uh, I'm laughing because I see the picture already. No games this week. Life has been too busy. But I did get the new Isle of Cats expansion yesterday. And the picture shows the box open with several, oh, I'm going to say six kittens either in or hanging out, waiting for their turn to get in the box. What's in the box? Um, uh, cats. So there you go. Well, I, I think I know what you, you might be playing, you know, suggesting next week. So let's move on. Hans, um, we will just definitively say Terraforming Mars. Uh, Tabanusi, Origins First Builders, Dune Imperium, and Paladins of the West Kingdom. That is a heavy lineup. Well done. Tabanusi, I'm going to look into that. And Origins, um, that's published by, I think, Dyson Games. Um, not, yeah, um, a European company. And they've put out, like, they, they've got had a good lineup here. Dune Imperium, yes, love that game. Uh, brought, brought to you by the makers of Clank and uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom. And of the three, I have the three. I finally picked up Viscounts. And of the three, that is the heavier. And uh, I think it's my one of my favorites. I have to get that back to the table and try it again. Um, Eli, lots of Marvel Champions. And Fort with the Cats and Dogs expansion, I believe. Marvel Champions, uh, they, oh, they keep putting out heroes, hero decks. And uh, I have to, to hold back. I have to hold back because I've got lots to... I've got a lot to play with. I don't, I don't need to complete everything, I say to myself. <laughs> okay, so uh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff has played Dune Imperium, Bitoku, Corrosion, Everdale, Maglev Metro, Mystic Vale, Origins, Paladins, Spirit Island, Tabanusi. Uh, all single plays except for Dune. So that what a breadth of games. And uh, holy moly. Uh, what a lineup, too. Uh, the fact that the, all those rule sets were in your brain is uh, quite impressive. And uh, out of that list, I think what I want to get to the table that I haven't played in a long time that I have is Spirit Island. Oh, that's such a good game. And uh, the solo. Uh, it, it's such an exceptional cooperative game because you can't, you can't quarterback because you've got too much to think about on your own stuff. So, so. Um, it's a uh, checks all the boxes for me at least. Uh, Brian, Isle of Cats, Explore and Draw. Oh yeah, that's the uh, Roll and Write uh, version, isn't it? And um, Too Many Bones, Isle of Cats, Solar Storm, and Cascadia. Right on. Too Many Bones. Ah, that's a uh, Chip Theory games. I have not played that. The people who own that game are um, um, diehard, not not fanatical, but they. They love that game. There's, there's no being wishy-washy on that one. And uh, I mean, and the cost, there's a, there's a pretty a good price point to that game if you want to get into it. But if you do your homework and that's the kind of game for you, then I have this feeling that it, it uh, um, rewards you with the loyalty that you have to the game. <laughs> so uh, Armand, uh, Ticket to Ride Japan and Quantum. Quantum, that one... That one's always, I've seen it. it. It catches my eye, and I've always kind of want to read the back and look into it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that one out. Uh, Jazz tried out Attack of the Jelly Monster. <laughs> I've not heard of that. That sounds awesome. That, you know, that sounds like a bizarre game. And uh, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to go, go to BGG and do some homework. Cool. Tim, Five Tribes. Solid Days of Wonder classic. Um, it's uh, based on that Hal Mancala um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, dropping dropping uh, meeples as you go. Um, kind of the uh, uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's you look at the board and it's so it's like a Jackson Pollock painting of different colored meeples. And if your brain is able to organize it and pick up the meeples and drop them off Hansel and Gretel style, reverse, I guess, if you're because they're picking up breadcrumbs, but uh, dropping off those meeples in a trail to where you end to collect the maximum efficient, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, um, formula of this whole Moncala, Polyer, yeah, 
it is it either it'll either break your brain or your brain will reward you big time because this is that's a fantastic game uh, Marianne nothing um, uh, re <laughs> reowning the game room so I'm um, I think there's a I think there's some some plans going into place and you know what you got to beautify your space Scott went to aircon jealous <laughs> this past weekend and missed last week so lots to catch up on so here we go get ready for it i'm going to uh, open this up here so continued my number one highlight of the week our online DD campaign the dragon of ice spire peak right on that's uh, the essentials box set i believe campaign nearly had a total party wipe oh tpk's total party kill that's dangerous but fortunately one of the two healers was just outside of the range of the area effect <laughs> yeah there is a brow wiper for sure also continued my number two highlight our ongoing play through the mad titan shadow campaign for marvel champions we finally took down the mad titan himself and have moved on to the next really interesting and fun challenge and then Aircon, a three-day convention in Harrogate, UK. Oh, I'm so jealous. Um, uh, but it's awesome. I'm so glad people are getting out to go to some cons and talking about it. Um, many games played. So Watergate, Almadi, Streets, uh, uh, Chidna Shuffle, Kanagwa, The Great Dalmuti, Brian Boru, Brick and Mortar, Just One, Push, Craft Wagon, Fleet the Dice Game, The Loop. But the highlight of the week was getting to play a demo round of the new game in the Villagers Streets trilogy by Harkon Garder called Moon. Also completed several async plays of Azul and Castles of Burgundy via BGA and played Fort. Such a fun little game. Oh, wow. I can't even begin to comment on what you've played. So the D&D, awesome. My regular uh, campaign night is Thursdays. And then uh, with the uh, board on the air family, uh, every, well, when, when we could fit it in in between their, their cycle uh, and uh, their busy schedule. So yeah, love me some D&D. Uh, Marvel Champions, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong. If you like that kind of uh, uh, card game, right? Um, and these are always, like, I mean, everything here is subjective, but I'm just trying to point out the really cool things. Watergate, Watergate uh, probably one of the best introductions to the, the card-driven game systems that uh, GMT has become synonymous for. Not synonymous, but um, have popularized and, and, and uh, shown to be quite a legitimate gaming system. Um, yeah, out of that whole thing, I think I just want to point out Croft Wagon. Um, by, if you like rondelles, oh, there's like about five or six rondelles here. Uh, Fleet the Dice Game. Man, the, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Matt, and the, that uh, designer series episode is going to come out uh, this week. And uh, we talked about that whole idea of, of cascading systems and how, oh, just glorious it is. Um, so yeah, the loop. I've heard cool things about the loop, and uh, I want to give it a give it a look for sure. Well, Bridge City Board Games community, that was well done. Well done indeed. My um, uh, play. Uh, I'm just going to quickly uh, talk about um, dexterity. Now again, I've, I've uh, in my last review I talked about crokinole and tumbling dice, which I want to talk about today. But um, tumbling dice probably climbing up there in regards to uh, one of my favorite fun uh, um, uh, dexterity games. Now, Crokinole, there's not, I mean, Crokinole has its own um, uh, mounting bracket on the wall, like it's a you know, Roman shield of antiquity, right? <laughs> so the, uh, uh, there's, there's no surpassing that. So um, Tumble and Dice, though, uh, Eagle Griffin Games, uh, what a yeah! Take this idea of a, um, a a waterfall shuffleboard idea, and each level that you drop is a multiplier. So the so in the first let's say from the tee box to that first kind of little bit of fairway um, on the same level, 
it's zero. If you can't get it past, <laughs> if you can't get it past the sandbox, you don't get to score your dice. And what you're doing is you're flicking d6 dice, and that's the ingenious part because as they land, it's so dynamic and it's so anxiety driven. But as you flick your dice, you're trying to get down out of the zero drop to the one or go to the next one, which is a two times, or go to the next one, which is a three times. And these are all kind of rectangular spaces as you drop. But the last four times, the rectangular width that you have, kind of picture on the two, on the two extreme sides, you have smaller level fours, but they're just little islands. And one dead in the middle is a little island. And at the end of these little islands are little posts. And on the third level, there are little posts just before you fall off, not going onto these little islands. I hope I visually described that. But um, everybody takes their turn one at a time. You have four or five dice uh, uh, without looking at, my, at the game box. Um, and uh, when you flick your dice, you might land six times three. Like you might land it on the, on the three level, the times three. So six times three, that's an 18 point, point dice unless someone hits it they could hit it bounce it it could ricochet it could roll to a, a one or it could go off the board out of play you basically go until there's no dice left and you calculate your points and this is one of those games where um it's just it's the best kind of family party game because you can come in and come out of the game and not tragically upset the outcome because the way you play it is dependent upon the circumstance. I mean, you can do one of those, you know, we'll, we're going to play to 200 points and we're going to count every point on the board. Or you can play it as rounds where we, we evaluate the board and whoever has the most points gets a point, right? Or gets a check mark and the first of three check marks wins, right? Um, also, we've played it when we used to have uh, Friday Night Games at Amazing Stories. Um, we used to uh, use that as our filler game until people showed up and a lot more times than not, that little filler game turned into an hour and a half. Uh, um, you, know, you know, the person on the bottom gets kicked out, and the person waiting gets into the into the competition pool. So, um, yeah, it is such a fantastic game. The rule set—it's one of these kind of you show them. It's it's a visual. This is how you play. Okay, let's go. Right. That's about that's about the learning curve on this game. Um, there are so many different ways to interpret flicking that thing. My son does the little hockey stick with the finger flick. I mean, it's just a fun game. Uh, if you have not had the opportunity to play it, I would suggest give it a try. Uh, and if not, if, if your family loves these flicking type games and are very competitive, and here's the cool part. I mean, I'm always going to look at the teacher angle. It is the best way to work on math skills for your kids. Now, uh, I always, Sophie right now is, is uh, in middle years, and uh, I take this opportunity to, to, to show her how you um, uh, can, in mathematically speaking, you know, uh, com compute things in brackets and then add them. So it's this dice times one, but you take that value and you plus the next stage and then plus. So she's learning formulas, which is awesome. Daniel... Um, uh, and I've mentioned before on the show, Daniel has Down syndrome. And so when we play games, I try to scaffold them for his uh, uh, connection, how he can plug into these games. And um, this game is great because uh, instead of doing times, the multiplier, we just add. So he can count the pips and then add. So he still does math skills, but we just change it a little bit. So um, yeah, if you need a, if you need an educational excuse to pick up this game, I just gave it to you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, uh, Tumbling Dice by Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, check it out. Absolutely. And we're at that point right now where I have to thank you so much for uh, listening to what we have to say about the games every week. Um, and, uh, thank you so much to the content creators who, uh, put together some stuff and, uh, and uh, we put it all together for you to listen to and help you spend your money. <laughs> well, that being said, there's only one more thing to say. Keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?